Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. All right, here we go. We are off to the races. I'm excited for this one. I had a previous guest on the show who sent me a message and said, hey, guess what? And I'm like, I know what you're going to say. And yes, she has a book coming out and we are going to talk about it. I'm so excited to introduce you to her. She is a thought leader in the marketing space. You probably have already heard her at HubSpot's Inbound or any of these other places she spoke at. She has a passion for behavioral science and marketing creativity and merging the two together. She's super optimistic, super energetic. She is a leader and a thought leader, a keynote speaker across the globe. Top 40, there's like a thousand different things listed here saying top 40, top 10, top five, top 100. Like she is the topsy tops. And she's here. Her new book is called Using Behavioral Science in Marketing. Need I say more? Co-founder and chief creative officer at HBT Marketing, Nancy Harhut. Welcome back. Thank you so much, Casey. It is great to be here. Man, I'm so glad you're here. I can't wait to just learn, learn, learn from you because I know that you've got so much research behind you now. Um, and you, be, you know what? It was funny. When we first started talking, I thought you already had like at least three books out. And this is actually your first book. So it just goes to show you how much I learned from you last time. So I'm going to shut up and I'm going to pass you this thing. It's heavy, but since you're an author, I know you can handle it. Ugh. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Grab that. You got it? Got it. I got All it. Right. Okay. Hammer, take that for me and smash some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. All right. Boom. The myth I'm going to uh, crush is the idea that our customers can tell us why they do what they do, can tell us why they buy what they buy. And the truth is very often they cannot. They think they can. It's not like they're consciously lying to us, but very often they're influenced by factors they're not even aware of. Behavioral scientists have found that up to 95% of purchase decision-making takes place in the subconscious mind. And the reason for this is humans have evolved to conserve mental energy. So what's happened is we've developed these automatic, instinctive, reflexive behaviors, these, these hardwired behaviors, and we cruise along through life on autopilot. And when we encounter a certain situation, we just default to these hardwired behaviors, giving them little, if any, thought. And this influences what we buy, who we trust, what we read. And that's why it's so important to marketers. So when we ask people, you know, why did you do this? You know, why did you buy that? They'll tell us what they think is the reason. But the truth is, very often, they themselves don't even really know exactly why they made a purchase, exactly why they made a decision. Wow. See, now that puts in perfect context. I can see exactly why not only did you need to write a book, but you're the only one that I should really talk to about buying behaviors because apparently nobody knows, but you know, because you're an expert in this topic. And if 95% of the sale happens at the subconscious, man, we have not put enough time and attention into the unconscious mind. We, we've think so much about the deliberate, intentional nurturing and all these little gadgets and gizmos. It's this, it's the fuzzies below there that need the attention. 
Well, you know, it's it's not that uh, it's not that what we're doing is wrong. You okay. know, we absolutely should be thinking about that. But the mistake that we make is we think that um, we think two things. We think that our, our customers and our prospects are making well thought out, well considered decisions. They're considering, you know, the the marketing messages we send out there. They're consuming them. They're um, they're weighing the pros and cons, putting together their cost benefit analysis, and and making a well thought out, you know, uh, decision. And and they're just not. Occasionally they do, but very often they're not. And then the other thing we think is that they spend as much time consuming our content as we spend creating it. And that's another thing that they don't do. So uh, so it's absolutely important to you know to to have kind of the basics. You, know, you want to get the right message to the right person and at the right time, we want to do all of that, but we need to do it in the right way. We need to serve up our marketing messages in a way that's most brain friendly, in a way that the, you know, the brain is most likely to notice them, to understand them, to recall them and to act on them. Damn. All right. Sounds like a lot of what we do is wishful thinking. <laughs> I, 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 I spent so much time on this white paper. It's like you're showing your, your parents a paper. I don't know if you ever did this, but I showed my dad a paper. Maybe this is where all of my problems come from, but I would show him a paper I wrote and he'd get a red pen out and start editing it for grammar. And then I realized later I should probably specify, hey, here's the thing. It's already been graded or something. And look at look at what I wrote versus can you please do this? Right. So it's like, wow, we're doing this wishful thinking of saying, oh, I bet, you know, I spent so much time. That was a weird tangent, but I spent so much time thinking about this content that. I bet you they'll, they'll just get, pour them a cup of tea, light a motive. Is it votive motive candle? A little uh, candle? votive candle. Yeah. A little votive, votive candle. Yeah. Light a candle. They're going to curl up with a blanket and read my content. It's like, no, they're not. They're going to skim it and probably throw it in the trash. And then the other thing, you, the well-considered decision-making, you know, and it's like, are we giving them too much credit? Are we just, why are we being so naive? So, well, you know, it's funny. You, you said a lot of good things there. I mean, one of the things you, you talked about was oh, they're going to skim and scan and, and then ball it up and throw it away. And a lot of times it, it's absolutely true. People skim and they scan. But if you capture their attention, if you are holding their attention, if you're writing something that's really relevant to them, that they're interested in, they'll keep reading. So, uh, you know, so there's kind of that myth of the copy has to be short. It, you know, it, it doesn't always have to be short, you know, as, as long as you can hold their interest. I mean, people binge watch content all the time, right? Totally. You know, so, I mean, it's, it's not that the attention span is necessarily short. It's just incumbent upon us as the as the marketers to, to make sure that we hold somebody's attention. But the the interesting thing, though, is you know, a lot of times people don't know exactly what's influencing their decisions. And can I share a few examples with you? Oh my gosh, please. So there, there was a study I came across. It was, it was really interesting. Very, very simple. There was an e-commerce company and they were going to have to start charging $5 for shipping. So $5, right? I mean, we all know what $5 is, but they tested saying that it was a $5 charge or a small $5 charge. And when they added that little word small in there, they got a 20% increase in response, which is, I mean, crazy when you think about it, because we all know how much $5 is, but, uh, but, you know, that, that one little, you know, framing it, reminding people that it was a small amount of money made a difference. Um, I worked on a piece for a, a client of ours. Uh, they were trying to sell disability insurance to dentists. So I know all of your listeners are like, we're going to talk about disability insurance and dentist. Oh my God, how much more boring can this be? But I, I promise know, you. literally just changed <laughs> to Rogan just now. They're like, all right. <laughs> this is, it's here. really, it's fascinating though. So the thing about it, nobody wants to buy disability insurance, right? 
Right. No one wants to think that they're ever going to get disabled. These dentists had already bought it. And this particular client of ours wanted them to buy more, which is not a bad idea because every couple of years you should check to make sure, has your practice grown? Has your family grown? I mean, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And so they would tell people this. But again, we're not thinking rationally. You know, We're not making these well-thought-out decisions. So they were having marginal success. And they came to us and we took their package and it was a direct mail package and we did a little tweaking and we added something called the pull of the magnetic middle. The pull of the magnetic middle is this behavioral science concept that suggests that for the most part, people don't like to be way out on the bleeding edge and they don't like to be lagging behind. They feel comfortable in the middle. Somehow the middle feels safe. The middle feels like a good choice. The, the middle kind of feels like where you want to be for the most part. So what we did is we put a chart, a graph in the in the letter. And at one end of the graph, it was $0, the least amount of insurance you could have. At the other end, it was $3 million, the most you could have. And we showed them where they were, and they were always left of center. And we didn't expect people would immediately go, oh my gosh, I need to have $3 million of, of coverage. But what we did think might happen is they might inch closer to the center. We got a 459% lift over the control based on that. Just, you know, you open up the letter. One of the first things you do is you go to that graph and you, you know, you get this feeling like, ooh, I'm not in a good place. I should be closer that way. And, you know, and so much of, you know, the decisions, so many of the decisions we make, are motivated by what we feel. Now, if you ask those dentists afterwards, they probably would have told you all of the rational reasons. Well, my practice has grown or my family has grown, or it's really smart to have more coverage, you know, for this reason or these financial reasons. They probably wouldn't say, oh, I looked at the chart and I felt kind of funny because I was left to center. But a lot of times it's, you know, things like that that get people to make a decision. Amazing. What now what oh sorry, what was the center? Was that so what, the, it would have been, was? I think, 1.5 million, right? If, if you're zero and 3 million, the middle would be 1.5 million. And people were always like left of that. So we, we edged them closer to the center. So mm. it was uh, it was really interesting, you know, and we, you know, we we thought that it would work. We hoped it would work. But then we put it out in the market and we proved that it worked. And, uh, you know, that that was incredible. And, and it's these little things that you're, you know, sometimes you think, oh, it's so small. How could it make a difference? You know, $5, small $5. Sometimes it's, it's like almost like counterintuitive, like we're going to do that and that's going to make a difference. But it, it does because of the the way the human brain operates, because of the, the fact that we cruise along on autopilot and we're influenced by these things. You know, these little things, these, these are like the little holy grails, the the silver bullets that we're often looking for in marketing. And I think there are some people that, you know, they left Neverland and they grew up and they realized, well, we have to think about process because that's all there's left to marketing. There's no more creativity, but this, this kind of gets me back into the mode of like, yes, there are these things you can do, but I think sometimes the challenge is we're just like randomly picking them out of the sky. You know, let me just try a different color for the button or let me just try this random subject line and we're not using science we're not using the principles so maybe you could tell us where we can ground our you know how do we come up with these ourselves are, are there certain you know principles we should think about when we're we're testing this yeah absolutely so I mean, honestly, the, the, the truth is behavioral scientists have identified hundreds of these, uh, you know, decision-making shortcuts, these cognitive biases, these heuristics, uh, and um, there, it's a lot to stay on top of. And if you're a marketer or if you're someone who's doing marketing and with a bunch of other things on your plate, it's hard to, to stay on top of it, to, you know, to find the time. Um, but what I did is in, in my book, I've got 17 chapters. I list 
25 of these behavioral science principles that have been my go-tos. They've worked for me. They've worked for my clients. They're the ones I have a tendency to just keep returning to over and over again. And so, you know, what I would say is, you know, you, you get familiar with a, with a handful of them that can be really very effective and you start by testing those, by integrating those into your, um, into your marketing communication. So, for example, uh, yeah, I said earlier, some of them are a little counterintuitive, but there's one called loss aversion, which is, I think, very, very powerful because behavioral scientists have found that people are twice as motivated, twice as motivated to avoid the pain of loss as they are to achieve the pleasure of gain. But in marketing, what do we do? We double down on the gains. We're all about, you know, uh, the, the gains, the, the advantages, the benefits, the wonderful things that will happen uh, if you just do what I'm asking you to do. If you just buy my product, sign up for my service, right? You know, click the button. Um, and, it, and we know the benefits sell, but the truth is people are twice as motivated to avoid pain as they are to achieve pleasure. So I always uh, say to my clients, we're going to inject a little bit of loss aversion. We're going to, you know, instead of saying take advantage of, maybe we'll say don't miss. Uh, you know, instead of saying you'll get all of this great stuff, maybe we'll talk about the bad stuff that you'll avoid if you do this or the bad situation you may find yourself in if you don't do this. But, you know, using something like, uh, like loss aversion can be very, very powerful. Behavioral uh, scientists also have found that when you give somebody the reason why, they're more likely to do what you ask them to do. So simply, you know, sometimes we think, well, I, I've told them about the product, I've given them the features, the, you know, the, the speeds and feeds, the specs, the features and benefits, told them what the price is, I told them where it's available, how to get it, I'm done, right? Like as a marketer, I'm done, aren't I? And yeah. the truth of the matter is, uh, close the loop, you know, it would benefit you as a marketer, just close the loop and say, you know, and this is why. There, there was a researcher named Ellen Langer out of Harvard University, and she ran this experiment. People were allowed up to use a, a copy machine. She sent someone to head of the line, and that person said, uh, excuse me, can I cut in front of you? 60% of the time they could, so that was the baseline. But when oh. she changed it up, sent someone and instructed them to say, excuse me, can I cut in front of you because I have some copies to make, the 60% number climbed to 93%. Now, think about a it. good reason. Right, right. Everybody standing in that line was standing in line because they had to make copies. And that's the thing. When we hear the word because, it becomes this automatic compliance trigger and we start to agree without even processing what comes Why? next. It's, it's a shortcut that the human brain has. You know, behavioral scientists think it might be because ever since we were kids, we'd like pester our parents, you know, why, why, why? why and why, why? they'd be and like, they never because. told us. <laughs> you know, and they'd be just like, because. And so it's like, it's hardwired into us now when we hear the word because we just figure whatever's coming next is legitimate. I'm just going to agree. But it's amazing. Now, you know, does that happen all the time? No. You know, and, and the research, I think the woman had uh, five pages when she had 25 pages, it was a little less likely that people would say, sure, you know, yeah. they'd think a little bit more. Still happened, but not to the same high extent. But for, for the most part, we're cruising along on all autopilot. And it's like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever, go ahead. It's like, wait a minute, I'm not standing here to get a coffee. I'm standing here because I have some copies to make, you know? You know what? I'm in the 40%. I'm not letting you cut unless you have a really good reason. My reports do. All right. I have one too, but whatever, go for it. But I have to make some copies. I'd be like, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, when I first read it, I'm like, I don't know. I'm a New Englander. I think we're a little bit less, That's you know. got to be it. <laughs> Although yeah. she was, I think she was at Harvard, which is, you know, in Massachusetts. It's here in New England. Hey, Liz here. Did you know my dad has another podcast? It's about podcasts. It's called Creating the Greatest Show. And it's about the ins and outs of how to make a great podcast. So once you're done listening to this episode, just search for Creating the Greatest Show on your podcast app. And now back to the main event. Uh, so I assume that's where she conducted the study, but I'll have to double check on that. But yeah, it is funny. I was like, wow, 60% of the people said, sure, go ahead and cut. 
maybe it was a sunny day. I don't know. Yeah. People say that they're nicer when, when the sun is out. <laughs> well, you know, if it's the Midwest, the study wouldn't work because everyone just let you in anyways. <laughs> You're right, <know>? right. <laughs> 100% let you in and 100% let you in after you gave me the reason why. And oh, okay. New England, we're like, no, you can't come in. <laughs> It is. It's funny. Wow. It's funny the regional differences, but uh, but you know, but a lot of this this behavioral science is baked into us. You know, people are people. You know, yeah. no matter where they live, no matter uh, whether they're at home or at work, and we just do kind of operate on these, um, you know, these these decision defaults, these decision making shortcuts. It makes life easy for us, and and that's why we rely on them. Jeez. Okay. Throw them at me. Keep throwing them at me. I love this. I can't have enough. Uh, well, so so there's this idea of scarcity. And I think probably, you know, you and a lot of your listeners will be familiar with it. You know, the idea that we place greater value on things that are scarce. So if there's limited quantities or limited time, you know, there's a yeah. deadline or, it's, you know, uh, you know, that that can motivate us. Um, but what's interesting is researchers have tested, um, you know, having an item on sale and having that same item on sale, but saying limit 10. And what happens was, you know, you would say to yourself, well, what difference does it make what the limit is? I mean, if, if I want the product, I need the product, it's on sale, I'm going to buy what I need, right? But when the product was simply on sale, that was fine. When the product was on sale, but they said limit 10, people bought more than when there was no limit. Because like, oh, if I could only have 10, I, I better grab one. Now, they didn't necessarily all, all buy 10, but on average, people bought more when they thought they could only have 10. And then the, the other angle to scarcity is if information is scarce, we value it more. We're actually more persuaded by information we believe is not widely available. It, it's, mm. I think the idea of like the hot tip or, you know, my cousin's brother's, you know, son works at the, you know, the, the racetrack. And so this is going to be a really good winner for the, you know, for a horse race or something. But, you know, it's that idea that it's inside information. It's, you know, a sneak peek at something. It's, it's behind the scenes, but people actually believe uh, information or find information more persuasive if they think it's not widely available. So anytime you can offer secret secrets or, uh, you know, behind the scenes look and, in, you know, a sneak peek, the insider view, that can be, you know, really very motivating, very, very valuable as a, as a marketer to serve that up because that's what gets people interested. Um, wow. uh, there's uh, another one is social yes. proof, keep going. right? Keep going, keep going. Yeah. I know we can't do all 25, but I would love to try because <laughs> these are fantastic. So well, yeah, it is, what's interesting is just, you know, again, how we, you know, we're influenced by these things. And, and again, yeah. I, and I do want to say this, you know, there is no silver bullet per se. You're not going to be able to, as a marketer, force someone to do something that they don't want to do, right? Like if they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. And it's not like you can just wave this magic wand and say, now I've made you do it that, you know, but when you think about it as marketers, when we put something out in the market, there's kind of like three groups of people, right? There's that group that was actively searching for whatever it is that we're and they're like oh my gosh thank goodness sign me up this is i've been looking for this this is perfect and then there's going to be another group and they're going to be like uh-uh you know i already have my way of doing it or i already have my preferred provider or i don't have that kind of money or i'm not interested or whatever it is it's like it's it's a hard stop it's not going to happen and then there's the third group which which arguably is is the largest and they're the ones that could possibly do business with you if they you know if they notice your, you know, your message, if they understand it, if, you know, they relate to it, uh, you know, and if they feel uh, that they remember it and, and if they feel prompted to, to act on it. And that's what behavioral science helps us do. So again, we, you know, we can't make everybody do something, but there's that group of people that somebody is going to get. And if somebody's going to get them, better it be you than, than your competitor, right? And that's, that's where behavioral science comes into play. So another principle that you can use is the idea of social proof. When people aren't sure of what to do, 
they look to others, particularly others like themselves, and they, they follow their lead. So we were doing some work for one client where they were selling voluntary benefits at work. So I, I know we're back to insurance again. I'm sorry, but um, that, what, yeah. you know, the way voluntary benefits works is, um, you know, you have to pay for this kind of insurance. It could be maybe cancer coverage or something. So the, okay. the company's not paying for it, but they're allowing you to buy it and you can have the cost of it taken out of your paycheck. So, you know, right away, that's that's a problem. You know, you have to pay for it yourself. The money comes out of your paycheck, which which makes it feel like your paycheck just shrank, you know? So, so right. it's not an easy thing to do. And um, we did a couple of things with them. We we sent out emails that um, that were very personalized and, and used social proof. So yours might have said, hey, Casey, uh, guys like you in their 30s, working in marketing, uh, you know, earning a good living, buy this kind of coverage to help protect their family. And, you know, based on the demographics that, you know, we would serve up which kind of um, voluntary coverage would make most sense for you, right? But, you know, again, you're, you're not really sure if you should be even getting this, but you get this thing and it's like, ooh, guys like me, they're my age, they're working in my field, they're, you know, working hard to earn a good living to protect their family. Maybe I, maybe I should look into this. And um, that got them, I think, a 16% increase, which was kind of nice. And then we also use something else called... Uh, choice architecture. And choice architecture is this really interesting idea that the way choices are presented influences the decisions you make about them. And, and you know, and you might say, well, I don't know if I'm going to buy that, Nancy. Like, you know, I want what I want. I have my preferences. I have my likes, you know, and, and the way you show me something, the way you present something to me, the order that you show it to me, that really shouldn't make a difference, should it? But it actually does. The, the way that we present choices influences how people make decisions about them. So what we did for this is typically the uh, the client would have uh, an email sent out to the company saying, all right, um, the representative from the insurance company is going to be here. That representative will tell you about all these voluntary policies, explain them, and let you buy one if you want. So sign up, make an appointment now, you can find out all about it. And so we use choice architecture, we switched that. And instead of saying, you know, sign up and you can find out, we said, hey, you know, we've assigned a time for you. We've set up your appointment for you. And it's at this time, at this place, you know, click this, it'll add it right to your calendar. And oh, by the way, if the time's not convenient, you know, you can click here and you can reschedule. And they got this triple digit lift in terms of the number of people that actually had meetings. And then as a result of that, more people actually decided that they would like to buy some of these policies. Wow. And, and it was so it was interesting because instead of having people do the work, you know, it's like I've got to be the one who schedules the meeting. You know, we did the work for them. We made it easy for them to do what we wanted them to do um, and a little bit harder for them to do what, you know, what we didn't want them to do, which is bail on the meeting. But it wasn't impossible. You know, you say, hey, look, I, time doesn't work for me. I'm not going to show up or I'm going to reschedule it. But so choice architecture is very powerful. And that particular campaign with the combination of the social proof, people like you really like you are buying things like this. And here we've set up an appointment for you. You know, it worked really, really well for that particular client. So uh, it, again, it's, it's just amazing the little things that can make such a big difference. Man, I feel like this is the wow episode. But <laughs> all I should probably do is just keep saying wow and keep letting you chat. The idea of choice architecture, uh, I love the name for that. And I'm sure there's like so many layers to that that you can, you can arrange. But these are all fantastic things to think about when writing your marketing copy or presenting something to someone is how can I, can I attack these? These are fantastic. 
Well, you know, in, you just mentioned, uh, thank you, but um, and it's not like I invented them. I just happened to write about them in the book, but. Uh, um, in the book, which is called. Ah. Using behavioral science. Oh yeah, I got to hold up the, yeah, that's <laughs> there exactly. it is. We got to make that the thumbnail or something. <laughs> Using behavioral science in marketing, drive customer action and loyalty by prompting instinctive responses. That's right. And that it's all about those instinctive responses. You know, um, you mentioned something about writing copy. And uh, so, you know, that's something a lot of marketers have to do. And very often we think, all right, if I can get the right information out there, if there are no typos, if I get it to people in time, uh, and if I've accurately uh, you know, describe the the product or the service that I'm offering, I'm done, right? My job yeah. is done. Like, you know, but there are there are differences in terms of, you know, which word you choose or don't choose, and also just how you write. So behavioral scientists talk about something called cognitive fluency, which is kind of a mouthful of a phrase. What it means is people prefer things that are easier to think about and easier to understand. Not only do they prefer things that are easier to think about and easier to understand, they they think that they're more honest, more truthful, more accurate, and they feel more confident in their ability to make a decision about them. So what that means to us as marketers is we want to avoid jargon, acronyms, long run on sentences. You know, we want to skip the 75 cent word when a 25 cent word will do, right? It's just simple language. And this is true, even if you've got a B2B audience, even if you've got a, you know, a college educated audience, you know, behavioral scientists have run studies and they found that even among highly, highly educated uh, audiences, people with PhDs, they still prefer simple, easy to digest language. Not only do they prefer it, a lot of times they rate the author as being more intelligent. Because if, if we as, as writers, as marketers can make it easy for people to consume our content, to grasp what it is we're saying, that feels good. Because people have a lot to do, right? And they're, they're, a lot of things are competing for their attention, a lot of things on their plate. People like things that are simple. They like things that are easy. And a lot of times in marketing, we make the mistake of thinking we need to make it more complicated. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to sound really intelligent. We need to use the big words. We need to show that we're, you know, part of the crowd. So we're going to use all these acronyms. And, you know, is there a place for the acronyms? Sure. It, it does communicate, hey, I'm part of your, your tribe, your squad. But um, but if, if you're casting a larger net, uh, if you're trying to make sure that you're not, you know, overburdening people from a, you know, cognition perspective, keep things simple, reduce the number of acronyms, you know, just make it easy for people to understand. And it, it's going to pay off for you in terms of people trusting you and in terms of people purchasing from you. Man, I think about the times when you have the fast talking people trying to tell you a million things and you're like, mm, I don't know about that car salesman, but then there's the other person who's talking slower, almost even the tempo. And in, in, in the writing, I can see you know, caveman, simpler words, easier to understand, just being easier to consume and people appreciating that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, the, the fast talking, I mean, that's interesting too. People say that if you, um, if you exude confidence, that's a good thing. So, you know, a salesperson who's exuding confidence or, a, you know, maybe a spokesperson on, on a video or on TV, you know, that can be good because people have a tendency to believe you you know um but then you know you should vary your pace you should vary you know your um you know your projection sometimes a little bit louder sometimes a little bit quieter uh you know sometimes whispering actually makes the point because should people lean whisper, in should we just like whisper for like five minutes and just drive everyone crazy 
we could, we could. People were like, what happened to my sound? What's going on? You know, but, yeah. but you know, sometimes you want to, you know, want to get louder. Sometimes you want to get quieter. Sometimes you want to speed it up a little bit. Sometimes you want to slow it down a little bit, but that's what helps keep people interested, which is a good thing because obviously if they're, you know, if they're going to, if you want them to consume the content, they have to remain interested. So uh, right. um, I read some study once and I, 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 I keep looking for it. I'm trying to find it. I haven't been able to get my hands on it, but it, it, here in the States, if you're listening to someone with a British accent, I read that people pay more attention. And um, there's, there's an author who I love. His name is Roger Dooley. He wrote uh, Brainfluence and he wrote, he wrote Friction and he has a podcast called uh, Brainfluence. And um, he, he's, the person who introduces it, I'm, I'm almost positive, has this British accent. And uh, and it's like, I'm going to have to ask him. Maybe he was the one who, you know, first published that study or something. But, you know, things that are different call attention to themselves. And here we, we're used to hearing other Americans speak. So uh, a foreign accent is like, ooh, let me pay attention to that. It's a little different, you know. It, uh, it actually, I think that falls under something called the von Restorff effect, which is we notice and remember things that are different from their surroundings. So, you know, if it's, if it's, an auditory thing, someone whose accent is different. If it's um, like a visual thing, you know, you're you're checking your inbox to see, you know, all the in, the emails you have. There are certain things you can do to the subject lines, emojis, mm. for example, or you know, putting a bunch of slashes before the words, or those little carrot things before the words. You know, just things that are different. So as you're going through the inbox, not everyone starts that way, but this one does. This one has an emoji, or this one, you know, it stands out from all the others and you, you pay attention to it, you're more likely to engage with it. Uh, you know, going back to direct mail, the same thing, you know, if uh, if all the envelopes are, you know, white business size envelopes and you send an oversized fluorescent orange one, people are going to pay attention to it. So and anything we can do, uh, regardless of the channel that we're working in, uh, anything that we can do to make our message a little different than everything else out there benefits us as well. Wow. How do you keep track of all these? And then is there a way, is there a certain order you apply them? Because I, I can imagine just from even this podcast, we've got several and then getting your book, we're going to get 25 more. So, or 25 total. How do you keep track of these and then bring them to bear in the right situation? So that, yeah, that's a good question. And, um, you know, so I mean, I'll start by saying I'm like passionate about this. I really enjoy it. Other people are sitting on the beach reading murder mysteries and, you know, my head is in some behavioral science book, you know, so I just happen to really like it and it, you know, it, it sticks with me. But, um, but what I did in the book is 17 chapters about, you know, 25 of the, of the go-tos and it's really easy to, you don't have to, it's really easy to access it. So I, I talk about what the principle is and I'm short on the science because, you know, you hear science and your eyes roll back, you know, just enough of why this is, has been proven to work scientifically, then I'll do a, you know, a story, a case study, an example. I'll have a bunch of bulleted lists, you know, do this, do this, do this, you know, try this word, try saying it this way, you know, if you have this, you know, if you have the opportunity to say this, do it, you know, so, you know, kind of a, a bulleted list of, of what to do. And while you can read the book, you know, cover to cover, chapter, followed by, chat. you know, one, followed by two, followed by, you can dive in and out, you know, maybe you, as you're flipping through it, you look at the table of contents, you're like, ah, chapter 17, that looks really interesting. It's it's all about, you know, how I can uh, use temporal landmarks, you know, that, that sounds interesting to me. Boom, go right there. You know, so I, I've made a, a like a hands-on handbook, a guidebook that's really easy for people to just refer to because, um, you know, marketers have a lot on their plate. And, and and it's not just a book for marketers. It's a people. It's a book for people who do marketing. And that's, you know, that's a difference. Some people are entrepreneurs or solopreneurs or, or you know, they're, they're doing a bunch of different things. And among them is having to create 
marketing materials, having to approve marketing materials. And uh, so you don't have a lot of time to, to dig deep. So what I tried to do is create a, a resource that, that people could easily use, uh, very actionable, very tac uh, tactical, you know, a lot of takeaways um, so that kind of just flip through it, say, I can use that, I can use that, I can use that, boom, get it into the market. And, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I recommend is think about why your clients or your customers won't want to do what you're asking them to do. And then you kind of go through the 17 chapters and you're like, okay, what's the best way to overcome this? So say you're a brand new company, right? People don't mm -hmm. know you, or maybe you're, you're introducing a new product, or maybe you're moving to, uh, you know, moving into new territory where you've never been before. People aren't familiar with you. So then you might want to talk about, you know, injecting some social proof. Cause we talked earlier about the fact that when people aren't sure what to do, they look to others, particularly others like themselves. So that could be, you know, we've already serviced so many different customers or, you know, people like you, have a tendency to do this we you know we can use testimonials yeah. you know testimony marketers love testimonials but testimonials are great and it's because you know you're not going to trust me as the marketer nearly as much as you'll trust one of my customers and here here's a secret about testimonials you know we all think oh we want the five star this is the absolute best product and we do there's no question about that but if somebody gives us five stars but doesn't start with this is the absolute best product instead starts with you know, I, I thought all of these were pretty much the same. I thought it was a, you know, a parody category. Um, but, you know, I, I just recently switched to, oh my gosh, so mm. much better. Because when people read that, they're like, that's what I thought. I thought that it was pretty much all the same. Six of one here, half a dozen there, they'd all be the same. But this person had another, you know, company, switched to this company, likes it better. I'm going to kind of go to school on their dime, right? I'm, I'm going to learn from what they did. They took the risk, found out it was a, a good move. So now I'm going to follow them. So it's really interesting. So again, we want to look at why somebody might not want to do what we're asking them to do and then kind of think about, okay, what's the best way I can overcome that? You know, or maybe, maybe it's not social proof. Maybe it's the authority principle, right? Ever since we were young, we have been taught to recognize and respect authority. So by the time we're adults, it's ingrained in us. And when an authority says something, we generally believe them. And if authority tells us to do something, we often do it. So, you know, you're, you're a brand new company, but maybe you have an endorsement from you know, your professional organization, the, you know, uh, American Medical Association or the Better Business Bureau or, uh, you know, good housekeeping seal of approval, whatever it is, you know, or maybe somebody really prominent in your field that's a recognized expert uh, right. among, you know, uh, that your constituents has endorsed you, you know, use that because then people will be like, oh, okay, if so-and-so says they're good, if this, this seal is there, if that endorsement is there, then I, I guess I can give them a try. It makes me feel right. comfortable. It makes me feel safe. So you want to, you know, look at what your business problem is, what the objection is that people might have, and then say, all right, here are some different ways I can, you know, try to overcome that using behavioral science, using what science has proven about human behavior in order to influence it. Wow, man. Whew. This, I, I'm excited. Like, I, I think conversations like this get me excited to roll my sleeves and get out there and think about how I can message the other 95% of the body, uh, you know, of the buyer to maybe that's the title, the 95%, the, you know, the other 95% part of your buyer, you know, that we're not addressing. Um, absolutely incredible. And so how much time did you put in to this book has this been like a life quest for you to write this thing so uh you know you know it's funny i am um, i speak at a lot of conferences as you were mentioning that was a lovely introduction by the way thank you so much um yeah, well uh, deserved but, but I, I speak at a lot of conferences and uh it's funny people would come up to me and they'd say 
goes, oh, I'd like to buy your book. And we go, well, I don't have a book, you know? And, yeah. you know, it happened once. And I thought, oh, isn't that funny? It happened a second time. I thought, what a coincidence. And it started to happen a little bit more, a little bit more. And I was like, I don't know, you know, maybe I should, maybe I should write one, I, you know? But then the, the real kick in the pants, if you will, came when, um, Kogan Page, which is a, a UK-based publisher, uh, they have offices in London and New York and Mumbai, but they reached out to me and said, uh, we see that you're speaking at South by Southwest, we like your topic, behavioral science and marketing, would you consider submitting a proposal to do a book? And uh, so I did, and they accepted it, which was great. And then uh, they said, so here's how it's going to work, Nancy. Uh, here's your schedule. It's a chapter a week. Mm. And I said, uh, oh, uh, now, you know, I, I have a an agency that I work for, you know, a working professional. Is that, you know, is that okay, a typical? You have a job already. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so I said, is that, you know, is that how it usually works? You know, and they're like, oh, yes, yes. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so it was a lot, you know, but I, but it was great. It was great that they put me on that schedule because, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of evenings and weekends getting it done, but I got it done. And I think honestly, if, you know, if they had said, oh, you know, let us know when it's done, it, it would have taken twice as long because you know how right. people are, right? We, we all, procrastinate we put off you know and um so it's a pretty intense uh summer and fall last year but uh, but uh you know i i enjoyed it and i'm psyched because all of the stuff that i really believe in uh you know i i can share it with my clients but i only have so many clients i can share it at conferences but i only go to so many conferences now anybody who wants it can get it and i i mean i these techniques, these tactics are easy to apply and they will move your KPIs. And mm -hmm. so I'm just so psyched that now anyone who wants it can get it. I'm excited for you too, because to be able to offer that to someone after a, you know, great, you know, performance or something would be absolutely fantastic. Well, well, yeah. th thank you. Yeah, no, I, uh, I you know, I'm, I'm psyched that it's out there. I'm psyched that, that people can access it. It just, um, recently it was Amazon's number one is as is, is recently as this morning, actually, Amazon's uh, number one new release in business marketing and number one new release in uh, consumer behavior. So, uh, uh, so I think the word is getting out, which is nice. <laughs> wow. Can you talk to us about the experience of writing a book? What was it like to write one you had been presenting for a while? So you had a good backlog of concepts, but it, you kind of show us behind the curtains of what, what does it take to write a book? So um, a, a lot more research than I thought. Uh, so, I, you know, I speak at conferences, but, you know, the conference will say you've got 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour or, you know, maybe you're doing a, a two hour workshop. But um, but, a, you know, an 85,000 um, 85, word book is a lot different, you know, you, like I could 85,000. It, it was 85,000 words. Yeah. Um, in fact, Holy it was probably, crap. it ended up being a little bit more than that, but they told me that's, you know, that was the target. And then I was like, really? <laughs> Holy that's cow. Like I was, so I was envisioning a slim little, you know, that's like a, that's like a, like a fiction novel. I, like that's, that's your textbook size. That's amazing. It was, yeah, I know it's, it's, uh, they, I, I was kind of like, oh, okay. So then I started to, uh, so I was like, well, all right, we'll have all of these different chapters. And they were like, no, 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 they, they should be, you know, more substantial chapters. So, you know, I worked with them and we started to, you know, collapse. So that's why like one chapter might deal with a couple of related behavioral science principles as opposed wow. to having two separate chapters. But uh, honestly, what I did is I start, you know, I'm, I'm a writer, not a, a mathematician, but I took the 85,000, I took the 17 chapters, I divided one into the other. And I'm like, this is how many words I have to write every week, you know, and then, wow. um, uh, you know, you know, I could talk about social proof in, in two sentences, but, you know, I had to talk about it in, in a lot more than two sentences. So I was like, all right, I need to figure out um, 
the you know the best possible case study to include. I need to uh, source you know the research so that you know when I say oh well there was a study and they found this. I need to be very specific about, well, it was this particular study done by this particular person. Oh, and, you know, so there was a, a you know a little bit of research there because, uh, you know, when I'm speaking at a conference, I'll just say, oh, yeah, you know, Ellen Langer ran the study at Harvard, but I, I had to be much more exact in the book so that, you know, I, that I got it right and that, you know, it was cited properly. So, so that was interesting. But after a while, you know, you kind of get into a groove and you're like, okay, every chapter is going to, you know, have maybe a, a, a little kind of non-marketing related or quasi-marketing related story that just makes, you know, the, the principle come to life. Cause a lot of times you'll talk about some of these principles and it's like, yeah, I do that. You know, I, uh, I'm standing at the, you know, the crosswalk, it says, do not walk. There's no traffic coming, but you know, it says, do not walk. And then someone else comes up behind me. They look both ways. There's still no traffic. They step off the curb and start to cross the street. And what do I do? I follow them, right? Well, that's social proof. You know, like we do what other people do, particularly like people who are like us. Oh, here's another pedestrian at the same street corner, but they're not waiting. So I guess I'll follow, you know? So there'll be like a little anecdote like that. Then there'll be a, a, you know, a a bona fide marketing example, or, or maybe even a fully blown out case study with results. And then there'll be the you know, the, the bulleted takeaways, try this, try this, try this, try this. And then at the end, there's just kind of a, a recap. So I kind of got into my groove and every chapter basically follows that, um, you know, that organization. So it's easy to dip in and out of. And, um, and you know, and it was a lot of fun. I got to, you know, I quoted a number of different other uh, authors and books whose work I admire and, who you know, whose work has helped me. So I tried to give credit where it was due. And because I've been in the field for so long and, um, you know, pay attention to response rates. I, I did have a stash of case studies that I could draw upon, which was nice too. And then I judge award shows and that gave me access to uh, to some work because not everything is US-based. Some stuff is from right. uh, New Zealand, for example. You know, like I was just trying to pluck the most uh, interesting, relevant uh, examples and include it in the book. So, uh, and then, you know, right before it went to publication, there was the, the Super Bowl happened and there was that ad from Coinbase with the, um, just the, the floating QR code. Do you remember yes. that? Yep. It just kind of bounced all over yep. the screen. And um, that did incredibly well. It, it allegedly like kind of um, shut down the, the website yeah, for, for a little website. bit. It, it crashed it. Yeah. You know, and I was like, that's that's the Von Restorf effect. That Super Bowl ad did not look like any other Super Bowl commercial that that ran during that game that, you know, that probably ran the last several games. Yeah. It's like, we know what, what a great is. example, you know? We know exactly what it is. We know it's an ad and we know it goes to some other ad, but we're curious as hell. They didn't say, hey, you know, for, for another round of this medication that will give you all these side effects, click here. It's just a QR code and you're like, what? what's there? We're all curious. Right, right. And it, it, you, I mean, you're a marketer. You see yeah. this all the time. You know totally. this stuff inside and out. And yet it's, you know, you're still like, I wonder what it is. I have to find out, you know. I think and, for marketers, we're like, okay, what are, what are these jerks coming up with? I like this, like that. <laughs> it's so a we're kind of like professionally clicking through. Whereas I imagine all my friends too, were just like, well, my phone does this now. I think I'll try it out. I think I'll check it out. Yeah, just, you know, even if you think you might know what it is, you want to you want to either prove that you were right or just confirm, you, you know, but, it, yeah. but it's interesting, you know, so it was a, uh, so that was an example of the Von Restorff effect. And, you know, right after the Super Bowl, I was like, I got to go back to that chapter and get that in because I wanted this to be as, as, you know, current and timely as possible. And, you know, also use examples that, that people would be familiar with too. So, um, so anyway, it, it was, it was a lot of fun to write and it was just a lot of fun to be able to share this with, uh, with uh, people you know, other marketers and people who are doing marketing. So cool. And you literally have like three pages of people giving you props for it. 
Amazing. Uh, people were people were very kind. I, I was um, bowled over, honestly, with uh, some of the uh, endorsements that I got from Ann Handley and Jeff Chrysler and Mark Schaefer. I haven't heard his name in a while. How's Chris Brogan? He's great. I, you know, he's uh, among other things. He's doing a, um, a, a show called the Backpack Show, uh, oh. kind of a you know an online uh, video show. It's like a a morning, um, like a morning coffee chat. But he gets the most interesting guest. Uh, he's doing it with um, uh, Carrie uh, Gorg- Carrie O'Shea Gorgon. Um, the two of them have just, you know, they bring on the most interest, interesting guest. And I was just on that recently. So I had a chance to uh, to chat with them and to talk about the book. But uh, they're both doing great. And uh, it, you know, it's called The Backpack Show. If you have the opportunity, check them out. Uh, he's on every week. And uh, I think wow. you can watch back episodes if, if you uh, go online. But just they just... They have the most interesting guests, the most interesting questions, and it's just lively and fun. And and, uh, and and it's a short show, but you know, but it's great to start off your morning with a cup of coffee and that. Forget about the votive candle and the tea. You know, go do that. It's a it's a lot of fun. Wow. You know, apologies in advance for everyone. I've said wow thirty thousand times, but gosh, this and you're right. I'm looking at Amazon. You know, number one in new releases in business marketing. Hell. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, was, uh, I was very and, happy when I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Watch, wait till you get those reviews starting to come in. That really just blows your mind. Um, and by the way, when the reviews start becoming poor, I had once an author tell me this. As soon as the reviews aren't all fives, that means your books hit mainstream. And now you got people that don't know you. Oh, and that's it's okay. It's okay when it gets the three and two and four, whatever, because it means now you're part of the community. Yeah, the, the great unwashed masses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny. That, that's very interesting. Yeah, because as you said, you know, there's some great people that have written some initial endorsements. And I was, you know, so honored that uh, that oh, they yeah. read the book and that they had that to say. Um, but it is it's it is like the people that are in the marketing community um, in, in one way, shape or form, whether they're, you know, financial marketers or whether they're consumer goods marketers or whether they're, you know, other marketing book authors. But uh, um, but yeah, that, that's interesting. Although, I'd, well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see if we ever get to that uh, that problem, you know, of being yeah. out in the mainstream. <laughs> so true. It will, though. It absolutely will. Um, I can't wait to see where it goes. Can you please share with us, how can people connect with you? Maybe they want to connect with you. Oh, actually, what kind of experience, do you help with experiments too? Do you help people with your consulting? Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, what HVT Marketing does is we, um, you know, we work with clients on, on strategy and creative. So that's kind of our, you know, so if somebody comes to us with an email campaign that they have, you know, that they want to get done or a multi-channel campaign, maybe there's, you know, emails and direct mails leading to a, a landing page and maybe there's some social around, you know, surrounding that. But, uh, but yeah, basically we'll, you know, we'll work with you, you know, uh, clients will come to us and say, this is what I'm trying to do. We'll figure out a good way to do it. We'll add some behavioral science along with some marketing best practices and we'll create the assets that, you know, the emails, mm-hmm. the landing pages, the direct mail, the, the ads, you know, whatever it is. And, um, and then, you know, obviously measure the results and uh, it's kind of a continuous improvement process. Everything we learn, we feed back into, uh, you know, to the next iteration. But uh, absolutely, um, I, you know, I work with some some wonderful clients, but there's always room for another couple. So if people are interested, uh, that's fine. And yeah, so the, the agency is HBT Marketing. HBT stands for Human Behavior Triggers. So we're at HBT 
MKTG, a little bit shorter, hptmktg.com. Um, we got a lot of, um, you know, information on the website, some case studies and some interviews and, uh, you know, uh, articles. So, you know, if anyone wants to dive a little bit more into uh, uh, behavioral science, we've got some information there. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at at nharhut. Uh, you can connect with me on, um, <clears throat> pardon me, LinkedIn or Facebook. Um, and would love to hear from your listeners, would absolutely love to hear from your listeners. Um, and then if they're interested in the book, it's uh, at, on Amazon, uh, also at Kogan Page, Barnes and Noble, Target, you know, any place fine books are sold. <laughs> Perfect. Anyone going to Inbound or virtually attending Inbound, you're going to be speaking which day? So um, <laughs> what am I speaking? I got to check my calendar here. <laughs> um, I am speaking on... Tuesday, Tuesday. Speak, uh, no, Wednesday, sorry, Wednesday. I'm speaking on Wednesday, <laughs> got, got, I've got inbound and then um, I've got uh, content marketing world coming doing up, that too? doing inbound, I'm doing content marketing world, I'm doing uh, marketing profs, B2B forum, and then there's a new one, I don't know if you've heard of this one, Casey, but uh, but you and your listeners might be interested, it's a new one called Guru, uh, and it's being billed as the largest free online email conference. It's run by uh, Jay Schwedelson. He's the guy behind subjectline.com. It's first time out of the gate for him uh, doing a conference like this, but he, it, wow. it is, you know, it's like, it's free for anyone who wants to. He's got this great lineup of speakers and um, it's online, fabulous speakers, no cost, all about email. Uh, so I'll be speaking at that. So I'm, I'm psyched about that too. So uh, some good stuff coming up. Yeah. Um, and then a financial brand form a little bit later in the year, content marketing conference, which is different than content marketing world. So a few different things coming up that I'm, I'm looking forward to, which is why I had to kind of look at my calendar. I'm like, I ah, can't keep them straight anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, yeah, no, but that's great to know because that, we'll have to stay, you know, in the loop and connected because I would love to um, get a better sense of what events are out there. And, you know, really pretty much anyone's you're going to or speaking at, those are the ones to go to. So, well, there, I mean, there are definitely some great ones out there. there there's no question about it. And, um, you know, they all have like a slightly different uh, bent to them, you know, uh, you know, content marketing, obviously more about content, you know, uh, guru, more about email, but, uh, uh, but, at, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's, better ways to market, you know, ways to kind of up your game and, and make sure that you're more effective as a marketer, um, okay. which is great. There's so many good speakers out there, so much good content to be had. Man, Nancy, you are amazing. Uh, I'm going to put this out there and I'm going to ruffle so many feathers. You are the best sequel podcast. Like, you know, how sequels don't always work in movies. You, this is the second, this, your second time is even better than your first time. It, oh. it, it's like, it's like Indiana Jones or something. You're the Indiana Jones of, of marketing podcasts. Every single marketing podcast should have you on. Uh, you are absolutely amazing. Sometimes people talk strategy and they have a pie in the sky ideas. I literally have two pages of notes of practical takeaways of things I can accomplish. So thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you for thinking of me as your book gets released and or is released now. Thank you for all those things. Oh, Casey, thank you. Thank you. You're a fabulous podcast host. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I've just really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much. You're, you're, you're very kind. You're very generous. And, and I do appreciate it. Thank you. Well, hell yeah. And to those people listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did, because I literally have two pages of notes over here, then share this episode with somebody else. One person, nine people, 4,000 people. That's thought leadership. That's leadership in your marketing community. Get good content to other people and definitely go get this book, 
This is going to be a book you're going to have on your desk. You're going to be working from. You're probably going to be buying for people on your team. This is the one to get. And then go see Nancy at an event and get her to sign it. That's the way to do it. Nancy, thank you again for being on here. Casey, thank you. Really appreciate it. All right, everybody. This has been a just a mind-blowing episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.